Well, good morning, church. It's uh, strange again to be in this situation, but here we are. And I'm glad you're back for another week where we can gather virtually online. Trust that you and your family have already enjoyed a sweet time of worship, or you as an individual have spent some time with the Lord uh, working through the worship service and the plan that we have provided for you. Again, we, we're doing everything we can to try and mimic um, and capture the essence of a church service while at the same time realizing that this is a very poor substitute for church. This is not the way the church is intended to be. This is a unique and unprecedented times for us. And we're making the most out of the situation that the Lord has given to us. We're thankful for technology and the ability to do this. And uh, we trust that even now, as you're getting ready to hear from God through his word, uh, that you will um, allow this medium to kind of fade into the background and that what leaps forward into your purview is the word of God and the power of God's word and the ability of God's word to uh, convict and encourage and to transform our lives. We're trusting that God's spirit is going to work through that uh, this morning and uh, do what he desires to do within us and especially us corporately as a church um, gathered all over the place, scattered right now. Um, but uniting our hearts before the Lord. Just a quick um, reminder that if you need help in any way, we've got some tabs on this platform. We hope that this platform is serving you well. And uh, you can find platforms to connect with us, uh, to let us know that you are here um, by filling out one of those connect cards, by submitting a prayer request so that we can get in touch with you and that we can pray for you and we can serve you in that way. There's also a, a tab there where you can click and you can give. And we want to encourage you during this season. We know that there may be some strain. Um, we want to be able to help those who need help. So there's a care tab as well. Um, but we want to encourage you to keep giving faithfully to the Lord. We're so thankful for the way that you've um, been doing that and the way that you're trusting the Lord in this as we all are. And uh, as we dive into God's word this morning, I, I want to remind you that, that these um, unique circumstances are in many ways not unique. Um, they're unique in terms of what we are going through at, at a very particular um, level in a particular way, but these kind of things, pandemics and famines and, and natural disasters, things that cause chaos and confusion at a global level have been commonplace throughout world history. And it's interesting that in troubled times, in difficult times, in confusing times, the world often turns to specific people or groups of people to lead them through the confusion. We're seeing this right now. Um, all of us are probably turning, tuning into the news. We're looking at our world leaders who are rallying around them, experts in their fields, medical experts and, and all of that, to try to figure out how to chart a course forward, to give us some kind of a clarity on, on what's going to happen and how we're going to do this together. It's normal that in these kind of circumstances, we turn to leaders or individuals, groups of individuals who've been appointed to lead us. In a very similar way, God has left the church in troubled times. Jesus talked about this, that he was leaving the church in troubled times. He even prayed that God would not take the church out of the world, but that they would be protected within the world. And it's interesting that God, um, as he sent his son Jesus into this world to prepare the church, to, to really begin and launch the church forward on a mission to reach the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus himself, as he left his disciples, he reminded them that they would not be alone, that he was going to be sending his spirit um, to fill them and empower them and lead them forward. 
But in Ephesians chapter 4, we also see that Jesus, as he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men, the scriptures teach. And one of the key gifts that God has given to the church to lead her through these troubled times that we find ourselves in, in the midst of persecution and ostracization and difficulty and oftentimes confusion, is leaders. Specific leaders who God calls and raises up to lead the church forward and to help the church continue to grow and thrive even in the most challenging of circumstances. The primary leaders that God has gifted to the church are known as elders, elders or pastors or overseers. These terms refer to the same office that God has given to the church. Called, qualified, gifted men that God provides to the church to chart a course forward in these troubled times and to provide for the church in a multitude of ways, care and protection to point the church to the glory of Jesus Christ and to hold the church fast and firm on mission to what Jesus has called us to. That's what Peter calls the church to this morning. That's what he reminds the church of this morning. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter's launching out of the context of judgment beginning in the household of God. And it seems that Peter is reaching back into the Old Testament context as he says those words, and as he begins to speak to the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, he reaches back, it seems, into Ezekiel, and specifically Ezekiel chapter 9 and Ezekiel chapter 34, where we read and understand that God had called elders to lead his people in the nation of Israel. But in that context, the the leaders of God's people, those elders had compromised and capitulated while they were supposed to be helping the people of God stand out from the world and look different from the world and be a light to the world. Instead, these elders had blended in with the world. And in fact, in many ways, their sin and their character had eclipsed the world in terms of their wickedness and their sinfulness. And there, God actually said that judgment was going to begin with those leaders. God was looking, in other words, for godly leaders, purged, purified leaders. Because as the old saying goes, um, as go the, the pastors, so goes the people. This has always been the case. And so here, Peter begins by reminding the church and the leaders of the church that there is to be godly, gifted men of character who are leading the church forward. That judgment in one sense begins with them, but as God looks to purify the church, he wants the church to know he's going to begin with the leaders calling these these godly men to lead, and he wants these godly men to lead the church into further godliness. And that is one of the ways in which the judgment, the disciplining hand of God, the purifying work of God takes place in the church. And so Peter writes these words, in 1 Peter chapter 5, you can read along with me. I hope you're already there. But look at 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. And here's what Peter says. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. 
Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Join me as we pray together. God in heaven, we hear these words, and we hear them directed specifically to the elders in the church, and yet at the same time, Father, we hear the call for all of us. We hear the charge, not just to elders, but to the entire church, the call to humility, Lord, the call uh, to be godly. And Lord, I pray right now that you would take your word and Lord, that you would apply it to the hearts of your people. Lord, that you would indeed make us godly, make us humble, make us those men and women of character uh, who walk faithfully with you, Lord, because you are faithful to walk with us. We pray that you would do this now, Lord. Bless our time in your word. We surrender and submit ourselves to you, asking that your spirit would have your way amongst us. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Well, as we look at this text together, um, it is in many ways directed toward the elders of the church, but I want to remind you that the elders of the church are not called to a different degree of character than the uh, follower of Jesus Christ. They have a different role or office that they have been given or called to, but all of us are called to the same kind of character. So everything in one sense that applies to the elders in terms of their character, which Peter emphasizes here, should be true of every single one of us. Elders in many ways are simply, as the text tells us, to be examples to the flock in terms of what it looks like to be faithfully following Jesus and to be growing in your relationship with him. Um, they are to model uh, character and godliness as, as they follow Jesus and imitate him, so too we should look to them and imitate and follow them. And so as God, um, through his word, speaks to the church today, I want you to see this. He speaks first to the elders specifically, but you'll see broadly he's speaking to the church. And the first thing he instructs the elders to do is this, embrace the calling. There is a very specific and direct calling that is given to a certain group of individuals in the church, men who are called and qualified and gifted. And so Peter begins and he exhorts the elders. You'll notice the language here is very direct and it is very firm. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and the witness of Christ's sufferings, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. I love here that Peter begins by sympathizing uh, with the elders in these churches that are spread across Asia here. And he calls himself here a fellow elder. He discards for the moment the, the title of apostle, and he simply says, I, I'm a fellow elder with you. And you can hear in this Peter's goal to sympathize with them, not just to sympathize, to empathize with them. And that's so helpful to understand, as Peter says to, to the church and to the leaders, he says, look, I get it. I, I get what it's like. I know what you're going through. I know what you're called to. I myself have been given the very same calling. He knows the pressures that they will face. He knows the problems. He knows the, the unique difficulties they will experience. Peter has served on the front lines of the battle. He is no stranger to this calling. He knows the demands, the difficulties, and he knows the sacrifices. And so he writes with this empathetic tone. And he does so saying, too, that he is a fellow elder and also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. 
he not only knows the cost, but he has looked to the chief shepherd. He has looked to the great shepherd in Jesus Christ, and he has watched Jesus himself imitating for us what it looks like to, to suffer and to lead and to serve. In effect, he's saying, look, I, I know what you're called to. I've been called to it too. And we are called together to look to Jesus and to be like Jesus. He doesn't just know the sufferings of Jesus. He knows the glory of Jesus. And he reminds them of the glory, that reward that is yet to come. And he says to them, look, I'm looking forward to the same thing you're looking forward to. You know, I love that Peter is not preaching to them anything that he's not also preaching to himself. And I would say that that is to be true of every single leader in the church, myself included. I feel this deeply that when I'm preaching God's word to God's people, to you, the family of God, uh, I am always first and foremost preaching to myself. And I want you to know that whenever I open God's word and read God's word and proclaim God's word, God is speaking deeply to me and I get this deep sense, I believe by the spirit of God, that I am in this with you, that we are in this together. I love that Peter pulls up alongside the elders and wants them to know this comforting truth. But I want you to see that he does not shy away, even though he can empathize, he doesn't shy away from exhorting the church. And he says to them, I exhort the elders among you. And his exhortation demands urgent attention here, really is the main imperative in this passage. And right now you can imagine that if Peter had been sitting when he had been communicating all of this, now he stands up and he looks directly into the eyes of the elders and he calls them to hear and to listen and to heed what he's about to say. And here's the command that he gives to them with such important emphasis shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd. This language was, was not unfamiliar to um, the, the people of God in the Old Testament. It certainly wasn't unfamiliar in the ancient world. They had a, a current context for this. They could look around and see shepherds who were watching their flocks and shepherding their flocks. Everybody in this context knew that shepherds were called to tend their sheep. They were called to guide and lead their sheep. They were called to protect their sheep. They were called to feed their sheep. He says, in effect, to the elders of the church, be faithful shepherds. Do everything that shepherding requires for the good of the sheep. It reminds me of the words of King Solomon in, in Proverbs 27, verse 23, where he expressed this similar call to really care for the sheep. And, and it reminds us of how to do this. He says this, know well the condition of your flocks and pay attention to your herds. It's as if Peter is saying to, to the elders of the church, you need to know your sheep. You need to know them well and care for them in light of their specific struggles and needs and challenges. This is the first calling of all faithful shepherds. They must know their sheep. I was taught when I was in seminary that a faithful shepherd needs to smell like the sheep. In other words, good shepherds and good leaders are around their people. They're not aloof and they're not standing in their ivory tower, secluded from their people. Uh, ironically, as I <laughs> preach this, isolated from their people. No, in, instead they're with their sheep. 
They're constantly rubbing shoulders. They're aware of their unique burdens and struggles and trials, temptations and fears and doubts, struggles with sin, struggles in life. I was reading this past week in Psalm 23. Again, a a psalm that is so familiar to so many of us, but this would have been a familiar psalm to the people of God in the early church for sure. And you know it so well. You know how it even begins. It looks to God and the comforting presence of God. And here's what David writes. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And here's the key in the entire psalm. This is what God pressed into my heart today, excuse me, throughout this week. In the middle of this psalm, I believe the the pinnacle, the peak, the culmination of this psalm, here's what he says. You want to know why you don't need to fear? You want to know why you are to feel safe and secure no matter what you're going through, no matter whether it's pandemic or persecution? Here it is. He says it right in the middle of the psalm. For you are with me. Church, that that is the key to all of this, to all of our our struggles, to all of our fears, to all of our, our doubts, to all of the confusion. God is with us. He is the chief shepherd, and the chief shepherd has provided care for his people in giving under shepherds to the flock. It's another reminder through these under shepherds that God is with us. God is caring for us. God is leading us and directing us. God is said to be the shepherd of his people, Israel. Peter has already quoted Isaiah 53 all the way back. If you remember in 1 Peter 2, verse 25, he says this, For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Sheep are animals who are desperately dependent upon a shepherd, The shepherd was responsible again to lead and feed and protect and care for the sheep. And again, the idea here, the sense that Peter is giving to the the elders is that this is not going to be easy. There are going to be plenty of challenges and obstacles. And by the way, there will be failure involved in this. Church, I hate to break it to you, but your leaders aren't perfect. They will make mistakes. They will fail you. They will potentially even hurt you. You'll remember that Peter knew this deeply. It was Peter who was sitting on the seashores of the Sea of Galilee. And I'm sure he was reflecting upon recent events, still fresh in his mind, still hurt by his own disobedience and his own failure. Not long before, he had told Jesus, he had swore to Jesus that he would never deny him. But Jesus had told him, Peter, that's not true. You will deny me three times times. Peter had done just that, denying Jesus in some pretty devastating ways. And yet Jesus approaches him on the seashores of of Galilee and three times mimicking the threefold failure of Peter in an effort to restore Peter and to encourage Peter and to spur Peter on, to set him on a trajectory of ministry that would advance the gospel. 
He asks him three simple questions. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's response the first time is, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Jesus' response to him then is this, feed my lambs. Jesus again asks him that question, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. So Jesus says, well, tend my sheep. And finally, a third time, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus says, Tim, and feed my sheep. The time in Peter's life where he felt most inadequate, Jesus comes alongside him and reminds him that our adequacy comes from Jesus Christ alone. God is not looking for perfect men to lead his church. He is looking for humble men who love Jesus and who love the church of Jesus Christ. He's looking for men who are called. He's looking for men who are qualified. And Peter passes on the same commission to these elders in this church. And Peter now passes on this this commission from generation to generation. He calls the elders of today in the church of of today in Redemption Church and in every other church, shepherd the flock of God among you. The task of shepherding carries with it an unequaled responsibility before the Lord. Peter knew this himself. Just think for a moment about what the author of Hebrews writes. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, he says that the leaders are the ones who are going to give an account for your soul. In a very unique way, the leaders, the elders in particular, are going to give an account to God for the souls of the flock that he has entrusted to them. Church, we take this very seriously. I personally take this seriously. I know our elders, we feel the weight of this constantly that we will stand before God and we will give an account for you, for your soul. And I want you to see what raises the bar of accountability here. You see, what makes this flock so special is that it is indeed God's flock. It is his precious possession, the flock that he purchased with his own blood. And this should encourage all of us who love Christ to love his church the way he does. Every single one of us needs to look at the family of God as blood-bought children of God, brothers and sisters of Christ, in Christ's story, who have been redeemed, set free, and united in him because of his great love for us. See, how can I do this? How can I love the church of Jesus Christ? Well, first, let me encourage you to do four things. The first one is this, sign up, get committed, show that you are a part of this church, bow the knee to Jesus as Savior, be baptized as a demonstration of your commitment to Christ and and the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, of the forgiveness of sins that he has granted to you because of your faith in him of the newness of life that you've experienced. Commit to the local church. Become a member of the local church. Throw yourself in. Sign up for what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Secondly, serve. Serve the church. This is what Jesus did. And this is what he calls all of his followers to do. God has uniquely gifted you by his spirit and God has called you to participate actively in the body life of the church. Third, support the church. 
Do so through your prayer efforts, as I know many of you so faithfully do. Do so through giving to the church, uh, both financially and also of your time and your energy and efforts. Support the church and the work of the ministry that's taking place here to make disciples. Fourth, at least, to our final area that you can, you can uh, do this is this, strengthen the church. See it as part of your responsibility. God has knit us together as one body, each member playing its part. But the aim is the same, to grow up into maturity, to make disciples in this place, in this context, for the glory and fame of the name of Jesus Christ. But you see, knowing that you are called to shepherd and lead people is one thing. Knowing how to do it is another. And so here, Peter comes alongside the elders and he says to them, you are to execute the care. And it's interesting here that Peter doesn't exactly tell them what the shepherding is to look like, but he tells them how it is to look. The motivation, the attitude, the character that is to be seen underneath all of the actions of shepherding that must take place. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Notice these words, here it is, exercising oversight. He calls the elders to be exercising oversight, to be looking out over, watching over, this word can be translated. He's telling the elders that they are to provide proper care for the sheep. And Peter wants us to know exactly what that looks like. And so what he does is he actually gives three warnings next, three pitfalls of leadership and of eldering in the church. He gives essentially uh, three vices to be aware of and three virtues to be pursuing. He describes here men, again, of character. And I want you just to know that the world may prize competence and abilities and um, uh, worldly uh, versions of success to determine who should be leading in the church of Jesus Christ. But when you look through 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, and you look at all of the qualities that God emphasizes, you'll notice this, that character is through and through the most important factor. In fact, the only thing God mentions in terms of ability is able to teach. Now that is not unimportant. And this is one of the ways in which uh, the elders of the church exercise oversight. They must be able to teach and they must be able to refute those who contradict. In other words, they must protect sound doctrine. They must lead people in the truth. It is essential. Uh, truth is what God has called the leaders to protect and preserve. And this is what we as the people of God desperately need. We need the truth to be able to grow and be strengthened so that we're no longer children who are tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. But we've grown up into mature manhood, able to handle the onslaughts of the world in terms of false doctrine and false teaching, but also um, persecution and ostracization and uh, all kinds of malignment from the culture around us and the world around us. And so here Peter gives some very specific calls to the elders. And here's what he says to them. Three things, not under compulsion, but willingly. Second one here, as God would, sorry, as God would have you. The second one here is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And the final one is not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So here's how we can break that down. First, he tells the elders of the church, don't be coerced, be compelled. This isn't something that you should be forced into. 
leadership in the church is not simply a duty. It is a desire of the heart. It is a compulsion of the heart. It is the Spirit of God who is moving amongst a man into this position. God is looking for men who have a heart motivated rather than men who are forced to be faithful. He, in effect, says to the leaders of the church, you are not to be like a mule that has to have a bit or a bridle in its mouth. You're not to be like a a drafted soldier, but instead you're to be someone who volunteers and volunteers not just willingly, but eagerly. There is almost a necessity laid upon the heart of this kind of a leader. He wants men who are passionate about him, passionate about his church and passionate about his glory, passionate not just simply about a a position of authority in the church. No, passionate about making disciples who will love Jesus and know him, passionate about, about discipling people and caring for them and helping them, serving them. This is a man who is called to sacrifice all of himself for the good of the church and the glory of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3 that the elder must aspire to the office of the overseer. In this church, we don't pressure anyone into eldership because we believe that God wants men who want the ministry and wants it for the right reasons. You say, why is it so important that they must feel this compelling sense within them, a deep desire and a yearning produced by the Spirit of God. Here's why. Because leaders will often face the brunt of the challenges and criticism. They are called to be on the front lines of duty. They are called to face, oftentimes, as we see in history, um, the full force of persecution, the full weight of uh, ostracization, They will in many ways face the brunt of the enemy's attack. To be a leader in the church is to willingly place a target on your back for the enemy. The enemy knows that if he can take down a leader in the church, he can often destroy so many more who look to and follow that leader. This is a burden that leaders and elders must willingly and gladly bear those who are coerced into leadership will inevitably compromise and capitulate at the first times of personal cost to them. Jesus talked about this and used this analogy. He says this in John chapter 10, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He who flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And then he says this again. Again, I want you to hear this, that the the under shepherds of the church, they model their shepherding after the chief shepherd. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. My prayer is that God is growing a sense of compulsion in many of you even right now. To grow, as I said, the the character of an elder is no different. The calling of that character is no different for the the calling of every single follower of Jesus Christ. You are called to have this kind of, of character and life of godliness, church. But I do believe that right now some of you are being called by God to step into greater positions of leadership to be able to serve the church. 
that God has gifted some of you, that God is growing some of you, and that God is indeed calling some of you to be either pastors, future pastors, maybe missionaries reaching um, people around the world with the gospel, and maybe God is raising up some of you even now to be elders and leaders in this church, Redemption Durham. For some of you, God has been laying this compulsion on your heart and you're asking the question, well, what do I do? I mean, how do I, grow, how do I continue to kind of press forward and, and kind of chart this course? Well, my answer is, is you don't do it alone. Um, you do it in the context of community. But for those of you who are maybe sensing that God may be calling you, I want to help you think through this. I just want to give you five things that you should be doing right now. And I would say again, for all of you who are not pursuing eldership or don't aspire to that, that these things can be true of you too when it comes to the Christian life. The first thing that you're called to be doing is this, be faithful. Be faithful. And that simply comes down to serving where God has you, to, to faithfully um, with integrity and character, fulfilling the responsibilities that God has given you now. They may be minimal, they may not seem important, but faithfulness where you are is so crucial um, to be moving along a pathway of growth and spiritual leadership. If you are faithful with little, then God will entrust you to be faithful with much. Second thing you can be doing is this, be growing. Be growing in the Lord and be, be diligently striving to grow. Don't be content. Have a holy discontent with where you're at spiritually and pray that God would give you a deeper longing and then pursue a greater growth in the Lord through diligent Bible study, through a study of theology. Get your mind and your heart wrapped around the deeper things of the Lord. The third thing you can be doing is this. Be following. Every good leader is first a good follower. Be, yes, a follower of Jesus, modeling your life after him, but be following those who are spiritually above you in the Lord right now. Who is discipling you? Who are you looking at as a spiritual mentor in your life? Who are you trying to rub shoulders with um, that is godly and, and can rub off on you in a lot of good ways? Fourthly, be discipling. You must be being discipled, but you must also make efforts to be discipling those who are under you in the Lord. Look for those opportunities. Be pouring into others what others are pouring into you. And fifthly, and this is so important, be asking. One of the secrets to spiritual growth is simply to ask those who are around you for feedback. Um, I've been told that feedback is the breakfast of champions, and that is so true when it comes to spiritual growth and spiritual leadership in particular. To be able to ask those around you for feedback, how do I need to grow? What areas do you see that I am weak in? Where um, are you seeing cracks in my spiritual life that need to be resolved? If I would encourage you in one last way of asking, it would be this. Ask the elders of the church and the leaders who are specifically I'm exercising oversight in your life. Ask them what they think of you and how you can be growing in the Lord. It is a joy as a leader to have people come up to me and to ask me, hey, hey, pastor or Ian, where can I grow? How can I grow? How can I, how can I look more like Jesus? Would you help me think this through? That is, there's, there's few things in ministry that provide such joy to my heart than seeing somebody with that kind of humility and I pray that God would bless that in each of us as we all strive to grow in Him.
The second thing he says is don't be greedy, be generous. You'll notice what he says, that we are to be not doing this under compulsion, but willingly as God would have us, but not for shameful gain, but instead eagerly. This is so key here. The idea here is that we are not indeed hired hands. We don't do this for the paycheck. Yes, some of us are paid to do the work of the ministry, but this is also in accordance with scriptures. First Corinthians chapter nine, Paul talks explicitly about this. And, and likewise, he does so in other places. That you don't muzzle the ox while he is plowing, that there are some who are going to be paid for the work of the ministry. And, and that is good because it frees them up to invest their life in a unique way into the work of the ministry. But this still, even those, for those of us who are paid uh, on the staff of the church, this is not to be the primary motivating factor in ministry. Peter warns the elders against greed here, against the, the lust for money and materialism. The, the warning here is against taking up the work because of a desire for any kind of material gain, to use people for personal advancement when it comes to uh, finances or um, material possessions. But I want to say, too, that while that's the main focus, this also can be applied a little bit more broadly than that. You see, this is getting at the motives of leadership. Why do we pursue this leadership? And this, in one sense, can speak broadly to all of those who would be tempted by greed and gain in every area of their life. To be tempted to take on this position because of the authority piece that you can wield or believe you can wield. Maybe for reputation, for power. And in effect, Peter is saying all of these things need to be cast out. They have no place in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And they certainly have no place in the life of an elder of the church. Instead, he gives them the antidote to this greed. He says, instead, serve eagerly. Be generous, in other words. There should be a zealousness to serve and to give of yourself and an inward delight in being spent for the good of others. See, God is seeking not the heart of a hireling, but he is indeed seeking the heart of a, a genuine shepherd who understands the sense of, of ownership and care over the flock that's been entrusted to him, knowing that one day he will give an account to the chief shepherd. Spiritual leadership is not about what you can get from God's people it's about what you can give for God's people. It requires sacrifice. We give time and energy. We serve with a generous love for God's people. And again, we're simply modeling what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, giving of himself, all of himself, for the good of his people. And church, this is what we're called to do for one another. The third thing he says to the elders is this, don't be subduing, be serving. He says in verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, what he's warning against is a worldly style of leadership, an oppressive style, a domineering style of leadership. That Again, it is commonplace in the world, and it was commonplace in the ancient world in which Peter is writing. In fact, Jesus said these words to his disciples. He said, though the Gentile rulers lord it over them, that they exercise authority over them in oppressive ways. It is not this way among you, he said. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, Peter is so fond of doing this. Jesus is our model. Leaders in the church are not to lead with a kind of domineering style that produces fear in God's people. It's to be a servant leadership, a sacrificial leadership, a loving leadership that is looking out for the good of God's people, not for the interest of the leader primarily. Everyone in leadership positions in the church should realize that the requirement to live a life worthy of imitation is not optional. To, to live a life of serving others is not optional. And in fact, Peter says that this is um, the example that we set for the flock because this is what we are all again called to. We're all called to serve one another in love, just like Jesus has served and given his life as a ransom for many. So too, we model our lives and our serving and our leading after that of Jesus. This applies to leadership in every area of our lives. Spiritual shepherds must lead with humility, not drive with pride. Your life should command and your tongue should persuade. The church ought to be able to look to the elders and see an example of a life devoted to Christ. This is why we need these warnings. We need to feel the weight of this. There is an accountability before the Lord and an example we are striving to set for the flock. But lest we be crushed by this weight, God gives hope. You'll notice what, he said, what he says next to the elders. He says this, expect the crown. Expect the crown. Now he gets to the heart of, of motivation. And he says, look, your reward is not in this life. In fact, he says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Wow, what a beautiful passage that's given to the elders of the church. This is such a precious, precious truth that all believers must hold on to. Our greatest reward is not to be found in this life, but in the next. That God looks at us, all of us, whether we are an elder in the church, whether we are um, just the average attender, attendee in the church. What God is looking for is faithfulness in his people. One day the chief shepherd will appear. And we will all stand before him to give an account for our life. Some of our accounts are going to be different than others. But every single one of us will stand before our God and our King. And our hope is to receive the unfading crown of glory. This is in contrast again to all of the, the earthly crowns that we may um, strive for. All of the earthly crowns we may desire all the reputation and the fame and the treasures of this world, every one of those will fade, but there is coming a reward for the faithful, an unfading crown of glory. It will last for all eternity. It will not disappoint. We will be so pleased with how God chooses to reward us for our faithfulness. The elders of the church are reminded of who they are. They are under shepherds of the chief shepherd. Christ will recognize and reward those who worked faithfully for him and not for themselves. The truth is, is that you, if you are seeking glory in this life for your efforts, you will be either re rewarded here and now, but you will be sorely disappointed later. If you're seeking his glory, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I love 
this quote from Richard Fuller. He says this, Today let us rise and go to our work. Tomorrow we shall rise and go to our reward. Today is the day of work. Let us get after the things of the Lord and let us look forward to tomorrow, that day in the future where we will stand before Jesus, our King, and we will receive this unfading crown of glory as our reward. Now, this reward will certainly be worth the labor. This is true of all God's children. This, this, your labor that's rewarded, it will be worth it in the end. Temporal crowns would eventually rust and fade and wither, but this crown is going to last forever. It's a crown of eternal glory that will be in proportion to your faithful service of his flock. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I can tell you it is going to be special. Therefore, he tells all of us, including and especially the elders, stay hard at your work. Don't quit. Keep after it. Guard and guide God's family, love and protect them, lead them in truth. And you keep your eyes fixed upon him, church, in his grace, waiting for his appearing. We wait for the day of the return of our Savior, and all of us ought to long to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Finally, Peter turns and he speaks more broadly to the church, and as if I can frame this in terms of how he speaks to the, the elders, here's what he would say to them. Encourage the church. Encourage the church to be who they're supposed to be, as I've encouraged you to be who you're supposed to be. Church, you'll notice what he says in verse 5. He says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. He creates this distinction here between the elders and the younger. And he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So how can you be faithful, church? That's the question. Well, it's helpful just to see how Peter breaks this down with this distinction. He uses this idea of the elder and the younger. Now, elder here does not refer to age. It refers to the church office. And in the same way, younger here doesn't refer to age. It simply refers to the category of everyone else. He's, in other words, saying now to, to you, the church, those of you who are not yet qualified as elders or who are not elders, those of you who are a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you are considered younger in standing. This isn't uh, to diminish anybody in any way. But it is to make a, a distinction. While it is true, let me just say this, while it is true that those who are older in age are often more qualified for the office, it is not always the case, nor is it biblically necessary. The term elder speaks not so much to physical age, physical maturity, but to spiritual maturity. And yes, here's the charge for those of you who are older in the Lord. That the older you are, the more time you've been walking with the Lord, the more opportunity God has given you to grow in your walk with Him. And yes, there should be, there should be a degree of maturity um, that characterizes all of those who are older in the Lord. Now, obviously, that's dependent upon when you came to faith in Christ. The older you are physically, the more mature you ought to be spiritually. Yes, but that is not always the case. 
But those who choose to prioritize their time with and their pursuit of the Lord will find rapid maturing in the Lord regardless of their age. I became an elder at the age of 27 years old while planting this church. And I'll never forget, especially in the early years, I would often hear statements like this, wow, you, you seem so young, or you are so young to be the pastor of this church. And uh, I need to confess, I am starting to, to miss those days. Um, I would often cling in those days to Paul's words um, to Timothy, pastor, elder Timothy, who was likely around 30 years old when Paul wrote these words to him in 1 Timothy 4.12. He said, let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I was often reminded that Jesus himself was 30 years old when he began his ministry. Age is not the determining factor for fitness for this office. It is not unimportant, but it is not most important. Spiritual age and maturity in the Lord is what is most important Consider that Jesus himself was dismissed because of his age by the self-righteous Pharisees who accused him of not yet being 50 years old and yet still instructing them. I'll tell you this, my physical age is showing with every passing year. I kept this beard. Uh, for those of you who may have been skeptical about that, be skeptical no longer. My physical age is beginning to show. I'm seeing it with every passing year, with every passing month. But here's the real question for you and for me. Listen carefully. Especially those of you who are younger right now, I want to encourage you to, to listen up. Your physical age is less important than your spiritual age. You can be young but have many spiritual wrinkles. You can be young but have many spiritual streaks of gray in your hair. You can have many uh, spiritual aches and pains and wounds and limps. Yes, from walking along with the Lord if you're older, but, listen, but, more importantly, from walking deep with the Lord. And herein lies the key to maturity. Are you walking deep with the Lord? Regardless of how long you've been walking, you can, you can have walked long with the Lord, but have stayed so shallow that you are now sp still a spiritual babe in the Lord. And yet you could be walking so short in terms of, of time with the Lord, but you have walked so deeply with the Lord. You have dove right into the deep end and you have, you have drank the milk and you have begun to chew the meat and God has grown you up so uh, rapidly in the things of the Lord. And I would encourage all of you, listen, this ought to be our pursuit to walk more deeply with the Lord, to be discontent with a shallow kind of Christianity, right? That, that, that is weak and wild down and doesn't devote time and doesn't prioritize our commitment to Christ, but instead to make the most of every moment we have to grow deep in our walk with the Lord. Deep in devotion, deep in prayer, deep in intimacy, deep in the truth of his 
His word, both its study and, listen, in its application, deep in holy living in joyful servitude to your master. Listen, the deeper you walk with God, the more likely you will look like your Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is what it means to be an example to the flock and in turn an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. And he calls every single one of us, not just elders, to this kind of maturity. And he requires it, yes, most of all for elders in order to be fit or qualified for the role. But he requires it of every single follower of Jesus Christ. Walk deeply with the Lord. So to the church, he gives this blanket statement. Those who are younger, those who are not elders or not yet, he says, be subject to your elders. Submit to them, follow them, come underneath their care and their leadership. And here's the way in which you do that. Here's the way in which you serve your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Yes, submit to your elders and follow them and love them and encourage them with how you're following Jesus. But listen, the the greatest way you can do that is not just by submitting to them in their position, but Loving one another, serving one another. And this is, this is one of the most encouraging things for a pastor or an elder to watch as people love each other and serve and care. This is one of the joys of my heart in this church to watch you, our church family, do this so faithfully for one another. I've been, I've experienced this as well from our church family, so loved, so cared for. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God will lavish his grace upon our church family as we continue to humbly love and serve one another. God loves it when his people humbly love. God loves it when they serve and care. And I want to challenge you in this season when this can be really difficult. We're all practicing some form of social distancing and self-isolation. And so right now, relationships, it can be very difficult to serve one another. There are lots of practical ways we can do this, but maybe if I can encourage you, I want to give each one of you a challenge today to take up for this week. In an effort to simply encourage the body of Christ, why don't you choose five people in your kind of sphere of influence and maybe send them a text message or an email or make a personal phone call or a FaceTime little video to to them. And and I just want you to just simply do that. It doesn't have to be long, but simply reach out and, and tell somebody that you're praying for them and actually pray for them. Maybe even pray for them over the phone. Send them an encouraging note, a scripture that just blesses them and reminds them that you're thankful for them as a part of this family of God. In these unique circumstances where we are far apart physically, we need to work extra hard to pull together spiritually. We need to do our part to not uh, simply become accustomed to this isolation, but instead to fight against it in every way we can, through every means available to us, to help draw the body of Christ together and to love one another in a way that's pleasing to the Lord and brings glory to Him. So would you do that? Choose five people, reach out to them even today or throughout the remainder of this week and just let them know you're one of my five. I just want you to know I love you. I'm praying for you. Here's here's something that blessed me in the word of God today. I just want to encourage you in the Lord. Keep pressing on after him. I think that would be such an encouragement to so many. As you consider the elders, 
Again, I want to encourage you, church. You do this so well, and I just, I'm so blessed. Humbly come under the leadership of the elders as they seek to humbly guide and lead you towards the Lord. Love them, encourage them, serve joyfully with them. Make it a joy for them to serve you. Pray for them, as I know many of you do. And I just want to take this opportunity uh, in this moment to commend to you the elders of our church. I have the privilege of serving with four other men, Matt Sylvester, Brian Raby, Rowan Fraser, and Philip Beach. And I just want to commend them to you as our church family. Um, they, they are such godly men. They are precious and dear friends to me. And I want you to know that they are in so many ways examples of godliness that I look to and I am encouraged by. And I want to commend them to you and say, follow them as they follow Jesus. Pray for them. Encourage them. Be a blessing to them as we serve together. And lastly, let me just commend you, our church family. You are a delight to pastor. You are a precious gift of God to me as your pastor, to the rest of our elders. I can say to you that you have made serving you such a joy and such a delight. There are lots of challenges to pastoral ministry that I face. There are plenty of challenges that we as leaders wrestle through together, as elders we wrestle through together. But on whole, let me just say, over the last 10 years, you have been such an incredible blessing to me as you have sought to listen to, to heed, and to put into practice the Word of God, to pursue your Savior with such passion and devotion. And church, I want to encourage you to keep pursuing the Lord with this kind of passion and vigor. Keep serving the Lord the way you do. As Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Church, let's not give up. Let's pursue the Lord together. Let's pursue Him deeply. Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us in this. We love you, Lord, and we love, God, that you love us so deeply. You love us so much that you gave your only Son for us. God, uh, our good shepherd laid down his life for his sheep, purchased us with his blood, and as a result of his sacrifice, he draws us near. But God, make it our desire even now as your people to draw near to you daily, knowing that you draw near to us. Make us like our Savior, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, uh, I want you to be encouraged in the Lord. And if there's any way we can serve you, please make sure you click one of those tabs. If we can pray for you even now, if you need somebody to call you, to reach out to you for prayer, please take advantage of that right now. You Just click that uh, prayer tab button and we'll make sure that we can chat with you and get in contact with you. Um, but go today in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pursue him faithfully together, knowing that he is faithful to us. Have a great week in the Lord.